Well, good morning. Um, it's a blessing to be before you this morning. I confess my head is swimming a little bit from the events of last night and um, the news that continues to come in. But I also know that God is here with us. And, and one of the phrases that kept going through my head even before last night preparing for this morning was, there is a word to share. There is a word to share. There is always a word of good news. We are still in Christmas season. We are celebrating God with us. And so let us turn now to the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 2, beginning in the 41st verse. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival When the festival ended, they started to return. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them. And came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us us pray. Spirit of the living God. Descend upon us this day. Open your word and our hearts to receive you. Amen. Well, before I had kids, people always told me that children grow up fast. I think they told me kids grew up fast so many times that I was really kind of prepared in my head for kids to get older. I wasn't really prepared for them to get bigger. (laughs) They start off so tiny, and then you turn around, and there they are. They're getting huge. And in this story, this is exactly what has happened to Jesus. We were in this sanctuary three days ago, celebrating this tiny baby born in the manger. And here we are, December 27th, and he's 12. Where did the time go? Whoosh. There he went. And we don't get many details about the in-between time, just here we are. Here we are with the Christ child growing up, growing up in wisdom and in favor, in knowledge. They grow up fast. But one of the things that I loved about this story is, um, and and I can't take credit for it, Clay forwarded me um, a resource a week or two ago about this scripture And it's one of those things that catches your eye, and you go, why did I never see this before? 
It's right there in front of us. Scripture is so sparing with words. And then some juicy little detail just burst open right there. And there it is. And you're amazed. I guess you're just so busy with the kids growing up and going by so fast. And we know this story. And, and where is Jesus? And, and acknowledging which one is his father. Oh, we've heard this story before. But there's this little bit right there in the middle when they find him in the temple. Verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. After three days. The Bible is so sparing with their words. We soak up everyone. And I had never really paid attention to the fact before that it was three days. Except maybe for the fact of how would it feel as a parent to not know where your child was for three days. But three. We've heard that number in scripture before. We have heard three days before. There's a lot of them actually. In in the Old Testament there's lots of journeys that take three days. There's waiting that takes three days. There's a very famous wandering into the wilderness. But three days for life, death, and resurrection. Three days for an unimaginable transformation to happen. And like many of the stories that are unfolding from last night, um, I don't think it's coincidence that this was three days. I don't think it was coincidence. Three days for transformation. Only the transformation here, this isn't, this isn't Jesus quite yet. It's not the opportunity for his life, death, and resurrection yet. We're going to get there. Easter's early this year. Just hang around a few days. It'll be here again. It's the scriptures. Jesus is sitting in the temple with wise people who know the scriptures. And all of a sudden, this boy before them is asking questions. And you can almost see their, their eyes widening and twinkling and their foreheads burrowing. What are these questions? Seeing the scripture in a new way, asking questions that hadn't been asked before, being prompted to new understandings of the scripture that hadn't been considered, that had been forgotten. Scriptures were coming alive right before them. The scriptures were being given new life right there in the community by this 12-year-old boy in their midst. By God's Son in their midst. The scriptures coming to life in community. In community. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. That's what I want us to consider is how we, as the body of Christ, as those people who gather together to study the word, to hear it proclaimed, to sing, to pray, to be brothers and sisters in Christ together, how is it that we are experiencing that transformation of life and death and resurrection as we encounter the living word of God? Okay, that's a big idea. I'm going to try to make it a little more concrete. 
Now, you have the children's pastor up here, so I'm going to talk a little bit about kids. But if that's not resonating or connecting with you at all, I give you full permission to make the connection where you need to, because we are all children of God. And so if the little ones and picturing the five-year-olds upstairs isn't going to work, I want you to picture the 25 or the 55 or the 85 or wherever you need to to connect. I've told you before, it's no secret, that sometimes I look out and I, I kind of wonder what you look like when you were five. I kind of wonder. So there, you, you connect where you need to connect. How is it that our church helps our children experience the living word of God? Let's make it concrete. How is it that our church helps this story of Jesus in the temple happen with the children who come into these doors, into this physical place every week? Some of them every day when they come to preschool here. When I first started in children's ministry, one of the things that I heard from other children's ministers and children's pastors was this objection to and resistance and pushback to being known as the glorified party planner in their church. Because everything you want to plan for children is supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be colorful and it's supposed to be bright and we want to invite new families and want to be engaging. So, you know, it's just kind of like a big birthday party all the time. Fun, fun, fun. And there was a lot of pushback and resistance. That's not why I went into children's ministry at all. And there's some pushback. How, how can I make people understand? How can I invite? How can we open understanding that children's ministry in the church is not glorified party planning? Um, I've started this great work this year with a pastor out of Colorado, Reverend Leanne Hadley. I hope to get to bring her here one day to, to speak before you and share. And her passion is children's spirituality. And she's doing some consulting work now um, in our church. I've signed y'all up. It's part of that. Her passion is children's spirituality. And she addresses this very thing. That as the church, that we are as guilty as our culture at providing for children fun, 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 fun. You go and buy children's Sunday school curriculum off the shelf. And what do you have? You have really exciting, engaging, opening activity when they walk in the door. It's smiles, and it's exciting, and it's fun. And then we're going to do a game. And then we're going to find some creative, passionate way to tell the story, because you know, we can just read it from the scripture. We have to, you know, bring it to life. Find some creative way to do that. And then we're going to have an activity based on that to help you relate. It's going to be fun. It's going to be high energy. And you're going to come in the door here, and when you leave, bye-bye. We're going to see you next week. It's going to be great. The problem with that is when, as the church, all we're providing is fun, 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 fun. How do we deal with the real lives of children? Real lives of children who are grieving. Real lives of children who are hurting. Real lives of children who have deep questions, who want to sit before the rabbis and the teachers and ask those hard questions that they might not get an easy answer to. Where do we hold space? Where do we have room to breathe? So that when the children come in, they can experience transformation. So that when they come in the room sad, we don't try to bump them back up and fix them. No, we're not sad at church. Put on your face, happy face. Put on your mask while you're here. Because church is all positive and it's all good. How do we allow children to sit and rest and be with God? And let me tell you, children are deeply spiritual. 
this is something that they, is in their DNA. That's part of why I chose that psalm this morning. God has known us from the beginning and knit us together. That spirituality, knowing God's presence, seeing that wonder in our world is in our bones. And giving children, whether they're five or 25 or 85, permission to experience the wonder and awe of God. If they can't do that here in the church, where, where can they do that? One tangible way that our church is doing that, you'll be glad to know, is in our learning academy and in our preschool Sunday school. And I got the teachers on board next fall. We're going whole hog. We're doing it across the board in children's Sunday school. It's a wonderful curriculum called Godly Play. Now, there's no one curriculum out there that's the answer. I know we've got enough educators in the room that you know that. But this curriculum, you don't have to fight it. You don't have to fight it like you do some of the other curriculums. Children come in to a community, to a safe space, and we tell the story. We tell the sacred story. And if you want to visit one week, um, I won't throw Jane and Julie under the bus on Sunday morning. So if you want to come visit with me on Wednesdays, you're glad to come and see. They are glued. They are glued to the story. We have reflection time in the middle. And I am just humbled and overwhelmed and awed by the things that children share as they're working with a story, as they're doing art, as we have our feast, which is a rich cracker and water every week. And when they come back the next week, they know the sacred story. I'm amazed at how they know these stories. I've been practicing it. I've told it to six different groups coming through my room. Of course I know it, right? I know these Bible stories, but these children will come in. They've heard a story one time for ten minutes, and they will come back a month later and pull the story off the shelf, and they can tell you. And these are sacred stories that you know that have those foundational tools about God being with us all the time and everywhere through exile, through death, through destruction and famine. God being with us all the time and everywhere as we prepare for the mystery of Christmas and hear the prophets and the shepherds and the angels and the magi of God being with us. So that when events like last night happen, they have something to hold on to. That, that line in the hymn struck me this morning as we were singing it. Clay, I set down my hymnal. What was the first one that was saying? Because he lives. Holding a newborn baby and what joy that brings. But greater still the joy that comes from knowing that that child can face the uncertain future. And that's the tools that we're giving these children. Now, that is just one tangible example of how we can engage God's Word, of how we can be the church, of how we can be the community, of how we can be that that group that sits down literally with children to engage God's Word, to help them put words and expressions on this spirituality that they already have. But that's just one small thing. And another thing that churches uh, in children's ministry, but churches too, are, are very 
good at is going, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that sounds like fun. Oh, we should do that over there. This sounds like a great ministry I want to be a part of. And away we go. Because there's a lot of good ministry out there that we can be a part of. But how do we as a church do Christian nurture? Jesus was here at this festival because he was raised in a Christian home. He knew the scriptures when he came before the rabbis and the teachers. He knew the feasts. He knew the celebrations. He knew God. He knew language. He had been nurtured in his faith community, in his home and in his life, before he ever arrived at this place at the age of 12. Here was this whole child that came before. How do we do that as a church? How do we define Christian nurture? So here's one of an examples of how we do that very, very well. Here at First Garland. Children's choir program. Children's choir ministry here is amazing. It is fantastic. And you know what? Families will come and they commit to it. In 2015, our families, mine included, will make a commitment to children's music and for the most part be here nearly every single Wednesday and every single rehearsal because they know what it's about. Here's my own little theory. I've pitched it to a couple of you, and I've seen some head nods when we've had these conversations. We do children's choir so well because you know if you sign up your kid for children's choir at this church, you know what that is about. And you can tell your colleague about it, and you can tell your neighbor about it, and you can tell your friend who doesn't go to church about it. You know when they come here that they are going to learn music. You know that they are going to learn the scriptures. You know that God's word is going to be written on their heart. And you know that if you come to the rehearsals at the end, there is an opportunity to share with God and the congregation what you have learned that semester. To offer that as a, as a gift of thanks to God and our congregation, usually through a musical. There is something tangible. We know where this is going to end. Okay. Contrast that with Sunday school. Why do we come to Sunday school? I bet every person in this room would give me a different answer. Why do you come to worship? Well, we might have a smaller bank of answers there, but I bet we'd have quite a few. Why do we do missions? Why do we have night in Bethlehem? I would love, I would love as a church, if we could come together and with the same passion and intensity and urgency that we do what we do with children's choirs with all of Christian nurture in this congregation. That from cradle to grave, we know what it means to be nurtured in the Christian faith at this church. Not just in Sunday school, not just in worship, but that I could talk to Heather and Josh Medlock and say, if you bring your child to this church, if you covenant to be part of this community, here is what you and your child have the opportunity to be a part of cradle to grave through missions, through worship, through education, through Christian nurture, all the different parts of what it means to be part of the faith community. Imagine what that would do for the faith community. Imagine what it would do for your own to have that language, to talk to your neighbor, to talk to your colleague, to talk to the new family that moved in down the street. 
urgency and to have that clarity about what it is to be part of the community of God right here at First Garland. The events of last night have changed the events of this coming week. They have defined them. And this community of faith, I know, this community of faith will be at its best. Because you know what it means to be the people of God. You know how to care for one another, and you know how to love one another, and you know how to love strangers when these crises come. There is an urgency here because there are people in real need with no power, with no home, with grief, with loss. And this community of faith will step in and be the people of God. Where will that urgency be about our faith when this crisis has passed? Where is the urgency for us, for you to experience transformation? And i got to tell you, I am convicted that that only happens in community here. I have some dearly loved family and friends, and I believe them when they say it, that say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I know, and I believe, that they have a great personal faith in Jesus Christ. And that they, some of them, are more faithful in their devotional life than many of us that are gathered here. But i got to tell you, one of my other firm convictions is that the place that transformation happens for you and for me and for this church and for our community happens in community. It happens when we come together. It happens when we share the word together and we pray together and we break bread together. That is how transformation happens for you and me, and that is how transformation happens in our world. Tell me any story you want about somebody who had a transformative moment in their faith. And it happened sitting there in worship. It happened at camp. It happened in a Bible study group. It happened because they were reflecting on the work of the people when they saw God's people in action, in community. That is how life and death and resurrection happens. Christ has come with us this Christmas. Christ has been born into our world. And every Christmas we get a fresh hope and a fresh vision for what that means to have Christ with us. To celebrate, to have our hearts warmed. My prayer is that as quickly as that boy grows, that three days that it took to go from birth to 12 years old here, that we would not miss the opportunity to gather with him, to gather together, to be that faith community of the people of God. Amen.